From the great American Pacific Northwest, greetings and welcome, my friends, to this week's edition of the Parachronicle Almanac. I'm Jonathan Hawk. This week we'll hear about a mysterious craft chased by a police helicopter over Tucson just this past February. We'll also take a look at Yemen's Well of Hell, a deep chasm in the middle of the desert that local folklore believes to be a prison for demons. And did a French engineer solve the final two ciphers of the Zodiac Killer? Well... He claims so, but not everyone is quite as convinced. All of that and more is coming right up. Now, before we get to the news, don't forget to like or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on or pass this podcast on to spread the word about our show. You can also find us on Twitter at X and on Facebook at the Parachronicle Almanac. We post news throughout the week, so follow us to stay on top of the latest. And we're always looking for stories from you, paranormal or otherwise, so give us a call on the Parachronicle hotline at 818-570-0126 if you'd like your story featured on a future episode. That's 818 818- one eight five seven zero zero one two six. You know what I'm going to say, don't you? You're, I want I'm going to say save it to your contacts because you never know when you're going to need it. Or you can always email at hawk at the That's h a w k e at the We'll also be taking a one week hiatus to celebrate the Fourth of July holiday here in the U.S. But we'll be back. Don't worry, we'll be back on July 9th with a brand new episode. So we'll see you then. And on that note. Let's dive right in. Well, now, the strange things being seen in the sky seem to be increasing with every passing month. And maybe it's just because of more focused media attention with the upcoming congressional UAP report. Or it's where I'm focusing my attention that I just happen to see more volume. I don't know. But it seems like every week there's some new interesting sighting to read about. Well, in that vein, a police helicopter crew says a mysterious craft they chased was not like any other drone they had ever seen. This from The Drive. In February 2021, what was described as a highly modified drone was able to evade and outrun helicopters operated by both U.S. Customs and Border Protection and the Tucson Police Department after entering sensitive airspace. An FBI investigation was announced shortly thereafter in which the Bureau sought the public's help for information related to the case. The war zone has now obtained the Tucson Police Department's official case summary report from the incident, which shows the air crews aboard the two helicopters that chased the drone were mystified by the capabilities it displayed. The drone was first spotted above fuel tanks just west of Davis-Monthan Air Force Base and flew into controlled airspace surrounding the base and Tucson International Airport after the TPD and CPB helicopters began their pursuit. The law enforcement helicopters followed the drone northwest out of the city before losing it in the clouds around 14,000 feet. The CPB was operating an Airbus AS350 on the night of the incident, while sources close to the investigation tell us the Tucson PD air support was flying a Bell 206B-3 Jet Ranger. The story of the mysterious drone encounter above Tucson was first broken by Dan Marys of KOLD News, a local CBS affiliate out of Tucson. Mary shared details about the drone with the war zone following their initial reporting, telling them that the FBI agents involved with the case said that the drone was reported to be highly modified, made erratic maneuvers, and even strayed into military airspace while reaching an altitude of 14,000 feet and maintaining speeds in excess of 100 miles per hour into headwind. In an interview with KOLD, an FBI agent familiar with the case reported that the FBI isn't sure if the drone was a quadcopter or hexcopter based on the configuration yet. 
Thanks to a TPD records request, the Warzone was able to confirm details about the drone's alleged flight capabilities and flight path, as reported by the TPD helicopter crew in their official case summary report. For one, they can now pinpoint the initial location the drone was spotted by the Tucson Police Department aircrew. That was the corner of East Ajo Way and the South Poly Verde Road, directly adjacent to a fuel terminal operated by energy company Kinder Morgan and just west of Davis Monthan Air Force Base. The case summary also confirms earlier reporting that the drone featured a single green light on its underbody and was difficult for the TPD helicopter spotter to observe through night vision goggles, noting that the report states that there's no video recording that was made of the incident by the TPD, unfortunately. The report's notes narrative section, authored by the TPD's helicopter's tactical flight officer, then details how the drone maneuvered all over the city while flying above 10,000 feet, all while behaving in a manner to hamper the TPD's crew, uh, TPD crew's ability to track it visually. The TPD crew also reported that the drone appeared to move in an erratic pattern as if the signal with its home station was getting weaker as it flew northwest out of the city. The flight officer then reports the drone was last seen at an altitude in excess of 12,000 feet flying over 65 knots, which is about 74 miles per hour. The report's supplemental notes section was authored by the helicopter's pilot and details the coordination between the Tucson Police Department, Air Traffic Control, and Border Patrol, or their helicopter crew as well. And the Tucson Police Department helicopter pilot wrote that the crew had hoped that this object, this mystery drone, would exhaust its battery reserves and be forced to land, but that unfortunately never happened. That just wasn't the case. The pilot also stated that the drone was very sophisticated and specialized and able to perform like no other drone, or UAS as they're calling it in the report, he had ever observed previously, able to fly circles around his helicopter as the TPD pursued it up to 14,000 feet at speeds well in excess of 100 miles per hour. The pilot also felt it was obvious that the controller had clear sight of both the helicopters tracking it by the way it would orbit us and abruptly fly behind us and attempt to avoid our visual contact. The pilot recounts that the TPD helicopter tracked the drone for over an hour as it flew into 40 mile per hour headwinds while maintaining 100 mile per hour airspeeds. Despite tracking the drone extensively, the pilot notes that the crew was unable to get a good visual on it, and quote, although we could not determine its exact size or characteristics, we primarily tracked it by a single green non-blinking light illuminating from the craft, the report reads. Eventually, both the TPD and CPB helicopters had to disengage their pursuit in order to refuel after losing the drone in cloud cover around 12,000 feet. Quote, it is unknown what the intentions of the sophisticated UAS or drone were, were during its time near the Air Force Base or how far away its origination destination spot was, the pilot concluded, adding, quote, it was quite clear, though, that this was not like any other UAS that we have experienced. Sources close to the investigation tell the war zone that while the TPD regularly encounters drones in the air, they are typically small, off-the-shelf quadcopter models. Despite these details coming to light in the case of the mysterious highly modified drone seen above Tucson, it remains unclear what exact type of configuration could allow for the flight characteristics described in this newly obtained police report. It certainly seems as if the pilot was highly experienced given the fact that the drone was able to run circles around the helicopters at high altitudes and speeds. The drone must have also possessed the ability to supply its pilot with superior situational awareness in order to pull off such feats.
The fact that the drone appeared to maintain a high-quality command and control link suggests some fairly sophisticated hardware above what is commonly found on consumer quadcopters or hexcopter configurations, even higher-end models. It's also unlikely that this craft ran on battery power. Whatever it was, the flight characteristics that this mysterious craft displayed above Tucson on the evening of February 9th are truly eyebrow-raising and only increase the bizarre and currently unexplained nature of the incident. Danger and Demons, Yemen's Mysterious Well of Hell. This from Fizorg. Surrounded in mystery and tales of demons, the Well of Barhut in Yemen's east, known as the Well of Hell, is a little understood natural wonder. Closer to the border with Oman than the, to the capital of Sana'a, which is about 800 miles away, the giant hole in the desert of Al-Mahra province is 30 meters wide and thought to be anywhere between 100 to 250 meters deep. Local folklore says it was created as a prison for the demons, a reputation bolstered by the foul odors rising from its depths. Yemeni officials say they don't know what lies below. Quote, it's very deep. We've never reached the bottom of this well as there's little oxygen and no ventilation, said Salah Babair, Director General of Mahra's Geological Survey and Mineral Resources Authority. Quote, we have gone to visit the area and entered the well, reaching more than 50 to 60 meters down into it. We noticed strange things inside. We also smelled something strange. It's a mysterious situation. Sunlight doesn't extend far into the structure, and little can be seen from the edge except the birds that fly in and out of its depths. Videographers seeking close-ups of the inside of the well have said they are almost impossible to capture, and local superstition has it that objects near the hole can be sucked towards it. Babher said that the well was millions and millions of years old. Quote, These places require more study, research, and investigation, he said. Well, over the centuries, stories have circulated of malign supernatural figures known as jinns or genies living in the well, and many local residents remain uneasy about visiting the vast hole or even talking about it for fear of ill fortune from a chasm which legend has it threatens life on Earth itself. Yemenis have had enough bad luck as it is. The country has been embroiled in a civil war since 2014 between the government and the Houthi rebels. The United Nations says Yemen is suffering the world's worst humanitarian crisis, with tens of thousands killed, millions displaced, and two-thirds of its 30 million population dependent on some form of aid. So is it the hole that's causing this sort of disastrous luck? Well, I don't know, but I know I certainly wouldn't want to be diving deep into the well of hell. Now, I have to note that over the next couple of articles, I'm going to probably be butchering words and names in other languages. So to those languages, I, I am really, truly sorry. But this is an interesting one from the New York Times. A French engineer is claiming that he has finally cracked the Zodiac Killer's final ciphers. But online sleuths are skeptical. From Argentre, France, Fekial Zarawi loves a good challenge. As a teenager, he designed 3D animations. In 2018, he completed an Ironman race, and more recently, he developed virtual reality software that allows people to experience life in a space capsule. 
Quote, I've never set limits on what I can learn, Zarawi, a 38-year-old French-Moroccan business consultant said in an interview at his home in the Paris suburb of Argentre. And so when Zarawi stumbled across an article in a French magazine in December saying that no one had ever solved two ciphers attributed to the Zodiac Killer who terrorized the San Francisco Bay Area in the 1960s and 70s, he thought, well, why not me? <laughs> so... The ciphers had long baffled cryptographers, law enforcement agents, and amateur sleuths obsessed with the unidentified serial killer with a penchant for ciphers. Half a century of unsuccessful research had led many to believe that the identity of the Zodiac Killer would forever remain a mystery. Numerous sleuths have claimed to have figured out the mystery through various techniques over the decades, but have had their theories debunked. But two weeks after embarking on his quest, Zarawi said he had cracked the two remaining ciphers, including one revealing the killer's identity, but using an encryption key that came to light only in December in creative code cracking techniques. Which, by the way, is a story that we actually covered here on the Parachronicle Almanac in one of our earlier episodes. Anyway, in excitement, he began posting messages and videos online on some of the dozens of forums called things like the Zodiac Killer Unsolved and Unforgotten, where tens of thousands of amateur keyboard sleuths track and debate details of one of the most notorious serial murderers in US history, including the two ciphers known as Z32 and Z13. It didn't take him long to stir up the large and now angry online community devoted to the case. One of his posts was deleted by a moderator on one of the sites. On others, his theories were denounced by people questioning his credibility and findings. Quote, I don't believe it for a second someone commented on ZodiacKillerSite.com, a popular forum. Quote, when he says that it took two weeks to crack the Z32 and an hour for the Z13, I think that sums it up pretty well. In hindsight, Zarawi realized that he had been a little tactless, brazenly bursting into a tight-knit community with what he presented as definitive solutions. Quote, he came in and told them, end of the game, said Yusuf Zarawi, his brother and a journalist in Morocco, but these people don't want the game to end. And it remains unclear whether the case, which has for decades consumed police detectives, generated dozens of stranger-than-fiction claims, and inspired a blockbuster movie, will ever be solved. The FBI and San Francisco Police Department, to which Zarawi sent his findings, declined to comment, citing the ongoing investigation. Born and raised in Morocco, Zarawi studied in France, where he graduated from Poly, uh, uh, Ecole Polytechnique and HEC Paris, the country's top engineering and business schools, and where he now works as a freelance business consultant. Zarawi initially thought code solving would be a fun activity during the coronavirus lockdown. And at the time, he knew nothing about the Zodiac Killer, who was suspected of five murders in the late 1960s, but who himself boasted of 37 killings. The killer's hallmark was a series of four ciphers, using letters of the alphabet and symbols that he sent to media outlets from July 1969 to April 1970 with warnings and, tantalizingly, a promise of his identity. A first 408-character cipher in which the killer said he loved murdering people was cracked soon after it was sent. The French magazine article Zarawi read in December said the FBI had acknowledged that a team of three hobbyist cryptologists had solved a second cipher uh, comprising 340 characters 51 years later with a code-breaking program that ran through 650,000 possible solutions before finding the encryption key. But the message provided no clues about the killer's identity. That left two unsolved codes, one 32 characters long and a 13 character cipher preceded by the words, my name is 
blank, like some sort of twisted Wheel of Fortune game. Many Zodiac enthusiasts consider the remaining ciphers Z32 and Z13 unsolvable because they are too short to determine the encryption key. An untold number of solutions could work, they say, rendering verification nearly impossible. But Zarawi said he had a sudden thought. The code crackers who had solved the 340 character cipher in December had been able to do so by identifying the encryption key, which they had put into the public domain when announcing their breakthrough. What if the killer used the same encryption key for the two remaining ciphers? So he said he applied it to the 32 character cipher, which the killer had included in a letter as the key to the location of a bomb set to go off at a school in the fall of 1970. And just as a note, it never did, even though police failed to crack the code. That produced a sequence of random letters from the alphabet. Zarawi said he then worked through a half dozen steps, including a letter to number substitution, identifying coordinates and numbers and using a code breaking program he created to cr crunch jumbles of letters into coherent words. The work consumed his thoughts, waking him up at night and plunge, plunging him into a constant state of anxiety as he learned gruesome details about the murders. Quote, I was obsessed with it 24 hours a day. That's all I could think about, Zarawi said. After two weeks of intense code cracking, he deciphered the sentence, Labor Day find 45.69 NORT 58.719 West. The message referred to coordinates based on the Earth's magnetic field not the more familiar geographic coordinates. The sequence zeroed in on a location near a school in South Lake Tahoe, a city in California referred to in another postcard believed to have been sent by the Zodiac Killer in 1971. An excited Zarawi said he immediately turned to Z13, which supposedly revealed the killer's name using the same encryption key and various cipher cracking techniques. After about an hour, Zarawi said he came up with K-A-Y-R, which he realized resembled the last name of Lawrence K, a salesman and career criminal living in South Lake Tahoe who had been a suspect in the case. K, who also used the pseudonym Kane, died in 2010. The typo was similar to ones found in previous ciphers, he noticed, likely errors made by the killer when encoding the message. The result that was so close to Kay's name and the South Lake Tahoe location were too much to be coincidence, he thought. Kay had been the subject of a report by Harvey Hines, a now-deceased police detective who was convinced he was the Zodiac Killer, but was unable to convince his superiors. Around 2 a.m. on January 3rd, an exhausted but elated Zarawi posted a message titled Z13, my name is K, on a 50,000-member Reddit forum dedicated to the Zodiac Killer. The message was deleted within 30 minutes. Quote, sorry, I've removed this one as part of a sort of general policy against Z13 solution posts, the forum's moderator wrote, arguing that the cipher was too short to be solvable. The moderator declined to be interviewed by the New York Times. Similar dismissive comments were made on other forums. Many of the comments were went downright arcane and sometimes nonsensical rabbit holes. Others said Zarawi's methods were too convoluted. David Orinchak, the leader of the team that cracked the 340-character cipher, said in a written exchange that he was skeptical of Zarawi's solution, noting that hundreds of proposals for Z13 and Z32 solutions already exist and that it is practically impossible to determine if any of them are correct because of the brevity of the ciphers. Others had also arrived at K as a possible suspect through circumstantial evidence. 
But David Nicache, a cryptographer and professor at École Normale Supérieure in Paris, and Emmanuel Thom, a cryptographer specialist at France's National Institute for Research in Digital Science and Technology, said Zarawi's code-cracking methods were sound and should be considered by police investigators. Looking back, Zarawi said he realized he had arrived at a bit uh, like a bull in a china shop by openly challenging decades-old theories about the case on online forums. Orenchek said the Zodiac community forms clicks around preferred suspects, influencing the way they evaluate code-breaking claims. Quote, They're usually friendly to people who are cordial when presenting their ideas, but once they start acting like they are 100% sure they've cracked the codes or the case, the community becomes rather hostile, he said. Well, five months after he first posted his solutions online, Zarawi has now disappeared from the Zodiac forums. He has stopped responding to comments saying he did not have the skills to play in the charged environment of the online forums. My brother would tell me, bro, what you just did here is pretty much the easy part, Zarawi said with a smile. Actually, the most difficult thing is to convince people. And yeah, I mean, I would have to imagine that going into a forum like that, uh, multiple forums, of course, not just one, to present your claims of having solved a decades-long mystery, a multiple decades-long mystery around the Zodiac Killer would probably stir things up a bit, as I'm sure it always does when anybody presents their evidence or claims. But what do you think? Do you think this is the final solution to this mystery of the Zodiac Killer and who that person is? Well, let us know what you think. Send us an email. And finally this week, going back to strange things in the sky, people have been seeing a strange spiral in the skies over the Pacific, according to IFL Science. Recent reports regarding United States officials' information on unidentified flying objects, or more poignantly, their lack thereof, have demonstrated that there remain many mysteries within the night sky. Bizarre and fleeting phenomenon can go without being seen or understood despite humankind's advancements in astronomy. So it's really rather satisfying when the curious case of the bizarre celestial Pacific spiral is cracked by science. On June 18th, one such unexplained event was witnessed in the skies of New Caledonia and Vanuatu in the southwest Pacific at around 6 p.m. Here, several witnesses saw and photographed a beautiful but rather puzzling spiral that appeared to be unfurling in the sky before their eyes. In a sense, updated Facebook post about the report, the Association of uh, the, well, basically the Caledonian Association of Astronomy said several witnesses in Yate, Theo, and La Tantuata, see, I knew I'm going to butcher names, and Vanuatu saw this strange phenomenon. We have no explanation, but we are far from being specialists in this kind of phenomenon. Based on our initial research, the only similar but even more dramatic phenomenon is the Norway spiral in 2009. The 2009 Norway spiral was also a spectacle to behold, observed across the northern end of the country for around 10 minutes. While such a sight might easily send many into an existential tailspin, the magnificent display was found to be the result of a Russian missile launch that went wrong. The Dbalava missile, which was confirmed by the Russian government to have been the source of the spiral, according to a report from New Scientist, is thought to have been damaged, causing the exhaust to point at the wrong angle. This led to the missile twirling with a plume, spewing out fire, which created the enormous spiraling display. So, does our Pacific swirl have a similarly down-to-earth explanation? Well, according to the Caledonian Astronomy Association, otherwise known as ACA, 
Well, the answer is yes. Jonathan McDowell, an American astronomer who lists all the maneuvers and orbital launches on the planet, confirmed that it was the second stage of the Chinese Long March 2C rocket, which took off on June 18th from the center of launch in Xichang, which with four satellites on board, wrote the ACA on their updated Facebook post. Amory Bellet, who contacted him, explains after completing its mission, the stage would have expelled its fuel to passivate, and that is to say, in orbit due to the residual pressure in the tanks. It is this phenomenon that you have observed. The spiral is the second scene this year, as McDowell explained to the ACA, that the same source was responsible for a swirl spotted back in May. Both sky swirls were seen within 30 minutes of a rocket launch taking off from the same place with the same parameters. An inclination of the orbit of 34 degrees with a direction of launch towards the southeast, according to Joseph Remis, another specialist in the subject, said the ACA. A similar launch is expected in July, so if you're in the Pacific, keep your eyes peeled. Well, that's it. That's all I've got for this week. Don't forget to reach out if you see something unusual in the sky or someplace else. Or if you have an interesting story to tell, we always want to hear from you. You can call our hotline at 818-570-0126 or find us at www.theparachronicle.com. Please like or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on or pass this podcast on to spread the word about our little show here. And until next time, keep your eyes to the sky and know that here on Earth and in the universe, we are not alone. For the Parachronicle Almanac, I'm Jonathan Hawk. Yeah.